You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Target inside fire. Elevation 16 Neosicles, visibility 5 feet, 2 feet, no feet. Hey, laser lips, your mama was a snowblower. Whoa, whoa. Calm down with the un-PC talk there, Johnny Five. Sorry about that, everybody. Didn't realize this, but we had an offensive stereotype. Oh, more on that in a second. It's me, your host, Trey Harris, back with another revisitation of the 80s with short circuit this week on 80s revisited with me as always uh my number two or i'm his number two however you want to you know however you want to sort the billing out jesse that's up to you loyal producer jesse sedgley yes i am and we're here to talk about short circuit this week that's right everybody three weeks in a row we're assaulting your eardrums we're not disassembling your eardrums we're assembling knock on wood but anyway, let's get right into it so we can talk about this film, which honestly I think is probably a great representation of an 80s. If you want to show somebody, say, what's, you know, I'm not saying this is the best 80s film, but in summary, I think this is a great representation of an 80s film. We'll get into that in just a minute, but let's get the who, what, when, where, why out of the way. Uh, but Short Circuit was released May 9th, 1986. IMDb gives it a 6.7. Rotten Tomatoes, 59% critics. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I think that's still certified rotten. Uh, but 67% audience, so the 67% audience is right in line roughly with the IMDb of 6.7, had an estimated $15 million budget for this thing. It opened at 5.3, which made it number one for the week. Uh, also, still playing uh, uh, that same weekend, if you went to the movies, if you didn't see Short Circuit, The Money Pit was still playing. It was number five, seven weeks out. Legend, Ridley Scott's epic masterpiece with Tim Curry. That was number seven uh, for the fourth week in release. And Critters was number nine in its fifth week. And strangely enough, the Goot, Steve Gutenberg, he had a great, it was a good time to be the Goot because he had this opening at number one. And Police Academy 3 in its eighth week of release was number 11 at the box office domestically. Uh, couldn't find any full worldwide gross on this film, but overall, between the US and Canada, it made $40.6 million, nearly tripled its $15 million budget. Plus, you got, you know, rentals and everything on top of that. So it probably made at least 70, 80 million maybe total with rentals uh, brought in. Because, of course, this is mid-80s. Rentals were huge. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. It was directed by John Badham as opposed to uh, John Goodham or John Goodman. Uh, no, that doesn't work. The ham reference has to, has to be there for that little dad joke to work. But anyway, John Badham, he also did Saturday Night Fever, War Games, Stakeout, and the American retelling slash remake slash reboot of the film Nikita uh, point of no return with the lovely Bridget Fonda. So pretty decent director. Uh, you know, nothing I would say mind blowing in terms of his skill, but you know, he's done some very notable films. It was written by SS Wilson and Brent Maddock. And these guys, they actually got a good little, uh, couple of, they're 50, 50. And I'll tell you this way. I'll tell you that. Why? First of all, both of them wrote trimmers. And not just the first one, but every single Tremors movie. They also wrote, wow. obviously, Short Circuit, Short Circuit Two. Uh, they're also, it's, they're kind of in the, you know, it's in the, the uh, effervescent phase of happening. Uh, but a Short Circuit TV show, which 
might be a couple decades late for that. I don't know in this day and age. I mean, what's Johnny Five going to be? A cell phone or a kid's toy? Mm-hmm. You know, then it's just the Child's Play reboot. I don't know. But they also wrote, unfortunately, Wiki Wiki, Wah Wah West. Uh, <laughs> but they did redeem themselves because they wrote Heart and Souls with Robert Downey Jr., which is one of my wife's favorite movies. And it's a damn good movie, to be honest with you. But unfortunately, they also wrote the Bill Cosby vehicle Ghost Dad. So, like I said, these guys, they're 50-50. They got, you know, I will forever love them for doing Tremors, one of the greatest 90s movies, unfortunately, not 80s movies. Uh, in my opinion, Heart and Souls is great. But you did Wild Wild West and you did Tremors 4 through 21, whatever number they're on. But uh, cinematography. Yeah, Smith has a good uh, story about the giant spider when he was. Uh, oh, in Wild Wild West? Yeah, he was uh, working with the guy who eventually made Wild Wild West. Um, I think, yeah, like, I think oh, that Superman they were working lives. with it on. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, I need a giant spider in this. <laughs> what? <laughs> and eventually got his giant spider. Spoilers, I guess, there kind you. of. Yeah. In Wild Wild West. I, I, I have never seen Wild Wild West. I saw the trailer, saw the music video. I was like, I never need to see this movie. Yeah. Although well, Salma Hayek is in it, so maybe one day I'll need to watch it for that part. But I have, as of August 10th, 2021, <laughs> I have not seen Wild Wild West and I have no desire to do so unless we get to, what year was that, Jesse? Was it in the 90s? It Late 90s, in I the think? 90s, 1999. Uh, yeah, so if we ever get to <laughs> 90s revisited, we'll, might have to consider it at that point. But until then, nah, I'm good, bro. Uh, but if the cinematography Razzies. was my nick. <laughs> hey, <laughs> award-winning film. You know, Arazi yeah. is an award. You know, that's uh-huh. an, that makes it an award-winning film for sure. But uh, the cinematographer was where well, I lost my spot. Uh, nick McLean. He also did The Goonies and Spaceballs. Uh, those were his two big cinematographer kind of credits. But he also did a lot of like camera work and some other notable films. But as far as cinematography goes, good job on The Goonies, and I'd say a good job on Spaceballs. But you know, you're no Dean Cundy or uh, you know the guy that did Blade Runner. I forget his name. Uh, mm. But he's still, you know, pretty decent guy. Uh, Ali Sheedy, getting to, moving on to the actors and actresses. Ali Sheedy uh, with Stephanie, of course, veteran of the podcast with The Breakfast Club. Uh, eventually, we'll get to War Games. Uh, I just don't like Matthew Broderick because, you know, he murdered somebody in a car accident. And uh, let's see, St. Elmo's Fire. And I see her every year for Christmas because she has a cameo in Home Alone 2. And if you want to know where it is, when Kevin cannot believe he's staring at New York City and he's like, what city is this? She's like, it's New York, sir. Mm-hmm. That's Ali Sheedy. So there you go. Uh, and Steve Gutenberg, as mentioned before, the great 80s icon, Steve Gutenberg. He was Newton, of course, a veteran of the podcast with the Police Academy series a couple weeks ago with Cocoon and also Three Men and a Baby. So as far as I can tell, we've pretty much covered Steve Gutenberg's notable films of the 80s. <laughs> I don't think we're missing any. Somebody out there can double check me. Uh, and then, honestly, the, the kind of the sticky part of this cast, Fisher Stevens has been... Uh, an American white man playing an Indian. Well, more on that in a little bit. Uh, but he was also in my science project, so he's a veteran of the podcast. He was also in The Burning, uh, kind of a Friday the 13th ripoff. He was in the film version of Super Mario Brothers with, uh, rest his soul, uh, Bob Hoskins. Uh, and also a lot of, lots and lots of TV. He uh, recurring role in early edition and Lost. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I think Fisher Stevens is probably one of the greatest actors of all time. And here's my logic for that. <laughs> As a kid, when I watched this movie... I thought he was Indian. And I never saw him in anything else except Short Circuit 1 or 2. Yeah. So. I mean, that makes I sense. Like, when, when, honestly, I don't think I realized that, because I heard, always heard his name was like the, 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 you know, the Indian guy from 
short circuit? That's who you're talking about? He's in what? I didn't see him in that. I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. On, you know, I'm just being truthful. As a child watching this film in 86, I thought he was in, I had no concept that he was not what he was on the screen. More on that in a little bit, because that's a, that's a really, you know, once you hear the full story, if you think it's problematic, you might think it's less problematic. I definitely think it's less problematic once I kind of, I'll go over the story later in the trivia about the whole thing. Uh, but I think he's phenomenal, you know, tongue in cheek aside, I think he's a, I think he really is a good actor if you look at his other stuff, uh, you know, and I think he did a good job in this for the reasons that it happened, which again, hold on, SJWs, Keyboard Warriors, just hold, hold, hold on a second. Let me get to it. Uh, Tim Blaney. Who is that? That's the voice of Johnny Five. The key part to this film. Uh, he was also uh, Frank the Pug and Men in Black, but he's mainly a puppeteer. He did a lot of Muppet mm. stuff, as well as some puppeteering in Flight of the Navigator. Uh, and, and him being cast as the voice was actually made because uh, Jim Badham, the director, or Badham, I'm sure it's not Badham, uh, he believed that the real-time interaction between him voicing him on the set with the actors would be more natural, which is 100% true in anything, I think, than if they edited Johnny's voice in during the post-production. So much like the guy that did Roger Rabbit's voice, I forget his name, he was on set doing the voice with the actors. So that's why, you know, the dialogue flows very well in this film. There's no, like, you know, excuse me, any kind of delays between responses or anything. It's very natural and fast, too. So really like that about it. And then finally, last but certainly not least, the great G.W. Bailey, a scroter, uh, of course, veteran of the podcast with the Police Academy series, uh, as well as, you know, co-starring with Steve Gutenberg. So actually, it was this weekend in the box office, it was great to be both G.W. Bailey and Steve Gutenberg because you had two films. Uh, one was number one, one was number 11. So you were in everybody's mind that had gone to the movies for the past few months. But he was also a mannequin, and he had a. He's you know he's he's mainly known from his. Honestly, this dude. If you need if you needed somebody in the eighties to play an over you know a stereotypical right wing pro military you know, you know st- again stereotypical people. I'm not saying you know if you think this you're wrong. Depending on exactly what you believe, and then we can have a discussion off the air. But uh, you know, but you know, uh, overexcited military person who loves the idea of the military but isn't good at it kind of thing you know because he's the bungling security guard and mannequin he's the bungling uh let's see what was he in what was he Command, commandant no commandant lassard C- captain harris he was captain harris and police guy bungling captain you know, always the butt of the jokes he's the bungling head of security in this movie <laughs> so you know he's kind of stereotyped for that especially in the 80s but in the show the closer with uh i believe speaking of trimmers kevin bacon star of trimmers his wife kara cedric show fantastic act like he's he's not just you know, when I think of him, I think of Captain Harris, flat out. Mm-hmm. But he's actually, much like Ernest, uh, Jim Varney, you know, he's known for this iconic role, but is actually a superb, well-rounded actor. So don't ever discount G.W. Bailey. He's a fantastic actor, he, but, he do, but he's great as the straight man in comedy, you know, the, or the foil in a comedic film. He's proved it multiple times, obviously, as we mentioned before. So on to the film itself. Jesse, I'm pretty sure you've probably seen this at least once in your lifetime. Yeah, I think it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I was a kid, I mean, of course, I, I, I've seen this one several times. Haven't seen it in probably 20, 20 plus years. Um, so a true revisit for me. But when I was a kid, I rented this, the sequel was the one that I just like repeatedly rented because that became part two was really more the Johnny Five show as opposed to the first one, which, of course, he's the main character, so to speak, 
yeah. in the movie, but it's very much an ensemble with Fisher Stevens, Steve Gutenberg, and Ali Sheedy, and him interacting together, whereas the sequel is much more his adventure by himself with just the people, you know, much more on the sidelines. So, but I'll be honest with you, watching this film re, uh, you know, just the other night, I, it, it was it didn't hold up in terms of the humor for me. Now, that's that's more so the human humor, but all the practical stuff with Johnny Five is was still hilarious to me. Still found it funny. A, because it's practical. This actual mm. robot is doing this on set, is getting hit by a car, is falling off a bridge, is crushing a chicken coop, and the voice, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very Looney Tunes yeah. with the stuff that happens in this film. And that's, to me, I can see that looking back in hindsight. That's, what attra- that, that's why I loved about it as a kid. But as an adult, you know, your tastes do change a little bit. I still enjoyed the Johnny Five bits, but all the human element in this film and the, uh, the human humor is just, it's not, it's not on the level of the Johnny Five stuff. It's it, one, you know, part of it's a, honestly, a TV show kind of quality, TGIF, Friday night, you know, ABC humor, and then the Looney Tunes stuff of Johnny Five. It doesn't quite mesh that well. It's, I still like this movie, don't get me wrong, we'll get that in the, in the score. But again, the, the main reason to watch this movie is for Johnny Five. And the the fun stuff that happens, the payoff in the movies that we opened with, where he's fighting the other uh, SA, SAINT units. Uh, if you know they were called Saint units, surprise, they're called Saint units. I'll get more on that in a minute. So it's still fun. It's still it's still okay. You know, uh, I'm I'm very excited to revisit the second one whenever we get another case of sequelitis, most likely, uh, because that's the one I remember much more about. Because I think Michael McKean's in it, uh, Mr. Green from Clue, and uh, the brother in Better Call Saul, you know, and Spinal Tap and everything. Uh, I remember that one a lot more because I watched that one so much. So this one was like more of a definite true revisit and a big refresher as to what I liked about it, what's good about it. So it's honestly watching this one this time. It, it's been so long and I, my memory is so, uh, what's the right word? Not convoluted, but uh, my memory is so fond of the second one that a lot of the stuff in this one I forgot about. Or didn't even flat out just did not remember. I was like, oh, I don't remember this. I don't remember all that, et cetera, et cetera. So it was almost like watching it for the first time. Because I really, it's a, the, only, the main thing I remember from this one is the snowblower line, because that's been kind of parodied in other things. And then also the Three Stooges shtick that they do near the end. Uh, but nevertheless, it's, a, it's still fun. I, can, I, I know kids would still love this movie. Uh, the Johnny Five bits aren't so spread out that... Well, I, I guess I can't say that because kids these days, their attention spans are, I mean, seconds as opposed to minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I speak from, I know that because my daughter would rather watch a YouTube video than watch E.T. And when I was two years old, I watched the fuck out of E.T. And that movie's two plus hours long and has very, you know, even as an adult, I can recognize E.T. as some boring parts, you know, but I watched that on repeat as a kid. I watched the original Superman on repeat. And that's got a ton of slow stuff. So, you know, kids these days, the attention span's different. And that's not, you know, that's not a bad thing. That's just how society has changed. You know, our parents didn't have, you know, some of our parents didn't have TVs as kids. You know, they were, you know, so they have super big attention spans because they had nothing to do. You know, so it's kind of a decreasing thing that I've noticed, at least in my personal circle and people I've talked to. Um, So, but I think kids would probably enjoy this one a lot more than adults would at this point. Uh, the way the world is works these ways, these days. Uh, but yeah, without you know, without getting too long-winded, too late. 
Jesse, what, what's your kind, of, your kind of memories of Short Circuit or, you know, any kind of takeaways that you managed to keep in your I'm cerebellum? I'm the same way, except I didn't have part two to keep my memory alive of it. Um, I just saw part one and remember Johnny Five and that's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, that's what that, that was the pop culture thing from this was the whole mm-hmm. Johnny Five alive, disassemble, no disassemble. And that's kind of the... The last thing, you know, the last thing, the or the the, the cool. thing that, well, especially in the eighty, I mean, eighty six, dude, you know, Rob the robot was out a few years earlier, or right around that same time, so it was like, mm-hmm. rope, you know, like you say, you know, like it, it was what the internet robots were to eighties movies, what uh, and honestly, seventies sci fi and previous sci fi too, uh, what the internet was in nineties and early two thousands movies, you know, like oh god, they're hacking us, quick, open up the open up the window and bring up the the file. The, uh, hacker infiltrate dot exe enter. I'm in. I'm in. We got. Oh no! Firewall. Quick, activate the anti-firewall protocol. You know, just that stupid <laughs> jargon talk because it was so futuristic at the time. And our RoboCops. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ro- you know, all the all the '80s robots. Yeah, the droids. Uh, you know, cartoons. You had them in cartoons as well. Terminator. He-Man. Even had Roboto. Uh, yeah. Total Recall. I mean, Termi- Terminator. Obviously. Uh, which honestly, see, they need to make a final short circuit where it ties the short circuit movies into Terminator. <laughs> it turns out Skynet was the one developing it, and they used Johnny Five as artificial intelligence. Oh, Transformers! That's the, that's the big one from the eighties. Yeah. You know, robots were cool in the eighties; they were huge. Flight of the Navigator too. You know, the examples keep coming the more you think about it. Uh, that's what I'm saying. You know, they robots were with the internet. Just eighty cinema, what the internet was to nineties, late nineties, early two thousand cinema. That's this great <laughs> super science thing that could do anything, you know. And honestly, the internet still is in movies today. That hasn't gone away. Right. It's just like keyboard sound, insert keyboard sounds here. I'm in. I'm into the CIA firewall. Oh, you know, yeah, you know. Oh, he's got two monitors. That dude's a hacker. If you see somebody in a movie with two monitors. Well, actually, not so much today because everybody's got two monitors these days at home, yeah. you know, for workflow and everything. But, you know, back in the day, if, you know, 10 years ago, if somebody had two monitors, they're doing some nefarious stuff on that computer in the movie. Mm-hmm. They can do anything. And I love how usually in the movies, one, you know, or they might even have like, a, you know, even to overdo it, like say Batman Forever, you know, he, he has like 10 monitors. Four of them have a different screensaver on them just for motion and color, and the other ones are just random static screens. You know, it's like, it's dumb. It doesn't work the same way as 80s robots did. Oh, oh, Rocky, Superman 3, Clash of the Titans, more robot movies, or movies with robots, <laughs> you know? So, uh, robots were a big thing in the 80s, and, you know, this is a, and that's what I was kind of said, what I said earlier, a chopping mall is another one uh, from the 80s, hardware. Actually, it was hardware might have been nineties. I don't know. It was the, I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, show, Runaway with uh, Tom Selleck had the robot spiders that were terrified me as a child. Um, let's see. But uh, you know what I said when this is a, this is a great example of an eighties movie uh, because a you have very, for its time Johnny Five Johnny Five the robot cost one point four million dollars to make him. Jeez. And they made. Five of them, plus the stunt ones they threw off buildings and hit by cars and stuff. So, uh, but what I'm getting at is that you, know, you have highly advanced practical effects. This is only '86, you know, uh, 
RoboCop was 87, you know, and that was a, a man in a suit. And all the, you know, Ed 209 is an iconic movie robot, but he's stop motion. You know, there's no, they might have had a big model of him on set, you know, for certain shots. You can tell where it's not quite that, you know, stop motion look where he's obviously existing elsewhere from the, the people on screen. Um, you know, but Johnny Five is there. He's moving. He's, you know, he's doing advanced stuff, stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Not quite, quite quite what the Asimov robots are doing these days where they're running and jumping and all this amazing stuff, you know, in the field of robotics. You know, and, that, and the thing is, robotics is still cool. You know, it's, it's like the Uncanny Valley with um, video games. You know, cutscenes look amazing, but there's still that Uncanny Valley where, like, nope, hair doesn't move right, eyes aren't moving quite right. You know, that's, a, that's CG. It's computer-generated. But robots, you know, in the fields of robotics, the thing, they, they, you know, it's still, like, it's still like our knees, I think I want to say. Like, the way our knees and our ankles, like, balance our weight, like, they, they're, they're just now kind of getting the hang of that for artificial... Uh, or robots, I should say. You know, so it's like, uh, the robotics are amazing. Like you see those robot dogs you see now? Those things are terrifying. If I was an insurgent and I see that thing coming at me, I'm just <laughs> laying down and praying. Oh, blah, 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 you know, whatever, to every god I can, <laughs> as fast as I can, with that thing's coming at me. Because, you know, of course you had the funny videos of them falling over too <laughs> when they try to jump and everything. But I mean, come on, those things are, I think they're terrifying. I mean, that's Metal Gear. That's metal. That we're getting to the Metal Gear era of you know how rope robots look. You know, back in the '80s, you know, we're looking at one now. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty sleek. It's pretty streamlined. It looks like you can look at it and say that's a robot dog. Like you know what it is. You know, Johnny Five is like almost looks like a novelty because it's meant to. You know, it's a movie. It's meant to be. It's not real world, but you know, he's a character. And in terms of what they did with him, they did it. It's a fantastic job what they did in this film and the robot that they built. That is physically there. There's no CG in this film aside from like lightning and shit, you know, which is typical 80s, uh, like Cocoon and everything. Whenever you need lightning to strike something and do it correctly, you have to get the uh, that animated lightning look. Uh, but you also have, you know, going back to my, <laughs> again, little tangents and everything admits the explanation of a previous point. Uh, you know, it's an age where you got Steve Gutenberg, you know, and let's be honest, his career was the 80s. You know, his career was just nothing what it is. After the 80s, uh, so he was definitely a, you know a hallmark of the 80s, I'd say, and you know not disrespecting him in any regard, but I mean you know that's that's where his career was, that's where his that's where he was a big name. Everybody knew Steve Gutenberg. Today it's like who? No, you know he needs a Tarantino reboot. <laughs> you know put him in uh, Tarantino Star Trek or whatever, whatever he's doing next. Uh, but anyway, you know he's got they got Ali Sheedy and 80, you know she's she's the more a little more serious actress than let's say Molly Ringwald from the 80s. And and you got an incredibly offensive, supposedly. I can't say it's offensive. I mean, I assume it's offensive. I'm not going to presume. I'm not Indian, so I cannot say. You know, it's not my place as a white male to say it's offensive because I need to know what Indian people think. And we'll, and we'll get to that in just a second, actually. Uh, you know, so you have a very 80s, <laughs> you know, not this time thing. Because in 80s movies, they say the F word. I don't mean the, I mean the one that, you know, British people call cigarettes. Uh uh, all over the place, you know, which is really not used these days, uh, or uh, is not used these days. Uh, you know, other other phrases and slang was is used all over the all over eighties movies and into the nineties too. I mean, it wasn't just like just the eighties, but you know, again, not justifying it, but it is a fact. Times were different. Uh, in you know, I'm not I'm not going to sound like old man yelling at clouds, but some skins were thicker, so to speak. Uh, that's not a racist thing. That's <laughs> 
That's a, a, a paraphrase. You know, like a racist thing. It does when I said it like that. You know, you know, thick skin. You need to have thicker skin. Is what I'm getting at. Just clarifying because you know, you know how sound clips live these days. You know, it's a sound clip. It's not what you're saying. Uh, you know, so uh, again, not justifying, not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong. I have, I have no, uh, <laughs> I have no skin in the game. <laughs> That's another expression. It's not racist. It's just an expression. Uh, and if it's racist, say, hey, let me know. I, I, you know, there are many phrases I take out of my vocabulary as their origins have come to bear in modern time. I have no problem with that. But anyway, uh, let's get on to some more of the trivia. Oh, anyway, so yeah, that's that's why I said it was an eighty. You know, it's a very, it's a perfect example of an eighties film. Groundbreaking practical effects. Uh, all you know, actually, the story is not really that crazy in this film. It's actually pretty. It's not that unrealistic, I guess I should say, based on the fact that you accept the fact that a robot has gained intelligence or uh, you know aware self awareness. Uh, you know, but then you have that eighties humor in there. And all that. So it's a great example of an 80s. You know, if you had to you pick, you know, a group of films that represent, excuse me, the decade, I'd say Short Circuit's a great one because it covers a lot of the points, which I've already said. I'm not going to repeat again. On to the mm. trivia. Uh, I thought this was really cool. It was filmed in the town of Astoria, Oregon. Jesse, do you, do you remember any movies that we've done on this podcast that were also filmed in Astoria, Oregon? I'm going to say Goonies. Ding, 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 ding. 100%. And same town, just down the road. Just down the road from the Goonies' house is where they filmed this. And also, um, Astoria, if you remember Arnold Schwarzenegger saying it, Kindergarten uh, Cop was also filmed Cop, yeah. in Astoria. But uh, that was 1990. So, although, you know, I'm, I'm thinking we might do a month, you know, how we do our theme months. I really like to do a theme month of not 1990s films that were obviously filmed in the 80s, but released <laughs> right, right at the beginning of 1990. Because, you know, on. Me and Autumn, my wife had a discuss. You know, I say a discussion. It was mainly me talking. Like <laughs> it always is. But uh, you know about how like you know, if, if a film released in 1990 is honestly not a 90s film. It is right. uh, films released in. You know, I have to look at that kind of. You, know, you have to look at kind of a, a front time frame. Maybe the first six months or eight months of 1990. They're more so the epitome of everything that the 80s was, in terms of style and you know certain things i mean of course cg is making its big or say big you know over you know, beginning to be see more prominence is i guess the best way to put it so i like i want to look into that and see like you know kind of look at the first look at 1990 see what some of the early films were and also you know sometimes films sit on shelves for months at a time to where you know there are 90s movies that technically are 80s movies so anyway that's notwithstanding but uh now the movie really tried to portray a living robot in our world. So every part of Johnny that was built to him was meant to have a purpose behind it. Uh, there was actually a big source of contention between the director, John Badham, and the, the guy who designed the robots, which I should have mentioned earlier. His name was Sid Mead. Uh, great work. And But Sid wanted to give Johnny eyes, quote-unquote, to give, the, give him a character and a method of expressing emotion. And him and the director feuded on it because that's why you have those eye flaps, that you know, make him to where they can arch down to be angry, arch up for surprise or a, a wonder. You know, it helps. It helps him emote because you know what. What does every actor say? You has to work behind a mask. You know, when they're being Michael Myers or you know, having to work under prosthetics, it's hard to work under the mask or under the prosthetics. How to you know emote under it? Now imagine a machine that can't do that. You know, that's not even human to express emotion. And you know, in the film, it works. You know, that simple thing of having basically eyebrows gives Johnny Five an incredible range of emotion. 
or expression, I guess would be a, a more accurate way to put it. But anyway, him and the uh, Sid Mead and the director feuded over those. So basically, the explanation for him is their sun guards to avoid lens flares in the eyes, and you know, or avoid dust, or you know, kind of protect the lenses, which. Johnny proves that's ineffective because he throws mud in the eyes of the the quote-unquote bad versions of him later on in the movie. Uh, I mentioned that the you know, one, uh, $50 million budget, 1.4, was for the uh, creation number five. He had three interchangeable radio-controlled heads for different facial expressions, and they could be properly articulated depending on the scene. So, yeah, we're, the, the, some of the clips we're looking at that Jesse has up, you know, clearly you could see, like, just that's all it takes, you know. Yeah. I mean, imagine not having eyebrows. <laughs> And then, like, looking at somebody and, you know, emoting is much more difficult. Well, not necessarily on a human because, you know, we have eyes that grow and everything. But you, you, get, you get the gist of what I'm saying, people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice, anytime nice you see uh, Johnny – oh, go ahead, Jesse. kind of cut out on my end. The explanation work for the, uh, the uh, sun guard. Sun guard. That makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Your voice, I don't know if it's coming through on your end, but it was very, like, warbly on my end. I could still kind of make it out, but it wasn't quite... It was definitely dropping quality right there. Uh, just okay, FYI. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Uh, anytime you see just number five's hand without the rest of him, that's all it is. It's because the robot puppet was either too big for where they need to fit him, or it was not capable of doing what they needed it to do. Such examples would be, like, rolling up a window, opening storage compartments, that kind of thing. Uh, there was a very, very remin... Uh, I guess reminiscent, very, uh, yeah, well, I'll go with reminiscent, uh, sound effect in the film. Every time they fire a laser beam, you should recognize it. It's a Ghostbusters proton packs powering up. <laughs> so Ghostbusters exists in the same world as, as this, I'd say. It's all connected universe. Just connect it all. Terminator, Predator, Alien, Short Circuit, Goonies, and uh, the first one I just said that I already forgot the stupid name. <laughs> Ghostbusters, <laughs> God damn it. Uh, as I mentioned before, their designations are S-A-I-N-T, and they have numbers, number one through five. Obviously, Johnny Five is Saint number five. But that acronym stands for Strategic Artificially Intelligent Nuclear Transport. I think the guy says it in the beginning, but that's like that's kind of the boring part with the exposition. I don't even pick it up watching it until I, when I read it, uh, researching the film, that's where I kind of, oh, okay, gotcha. I remember calling him Saint, but I don't remember him explaining it in the movie, which, but I do think that they did. Uh, one of the ways in which the movie shows, like, number five becoming, you know, self-aware, uh, a.k.a. alive, however you want to put it, uh, is – and this is, this is good writing to me. He's it's, – it's not just – there's not just a change, but subtly – I say uh, gradually over the course of the film, he starts referring to himself in the first person. He starts – every now and then he'll just say I as opposed to number five until he doesn't say that at all. So that that's good writing because that – that's a you know that's basic English you know. <laughs> I is uh, I don't I'm going to say a bunch of English uh, word soup right now for you but you get the idea you know I is a singular possessive noun that in, in, infers that you are yourself etc cetera, etc cetera, whereas you know saying number five is saying an object is something not that it necessarily is of self and I'll leave it at that there you go you, you get what I'm saying <laughs> if you don't don't worry about it. Uh, and originally, I mentioned in RoboCop, you know, Ed 209 stop motion pretty much 90, I'd say 99, 95% of the time. Uh, and the script actually wanted to use, was written around the use of stop motion animation. But the director said, nope, probably the best decision he ever made for this film. It's all practical. Mm-hmm. And every single thing you see, again, except for lightning, <laughs> is a practical effect. And it's great. All right, now, 
let's let's wrap the trivia up before we go into the rest of the podcast or the next uh, topics by talking about the whole Fisher Stevens playing an Indian thing. So uh, I did a little bit of research on this because, you know, I mean, now this would not fly nowadays. I mean, even though, you know, for example, Ghost in the Shell, ScarJo is playing a character whose mind is Asian, but even in the source material, she was put in a American body and it was still an issue when the movie came out, even though that's that's literally the story. Uh, but, you know, there's, you know, uh, there are other examples of whitewashing. You know, whitewashing is definitely a thing, not saying it's not. Uh, but for this film, I think it, it's, a, it's this is a great film to talk about this, uh, I'd say, because of the, uh, you know, is it right if you have to get, you know, no. But the reasons, I think, for this film show, you know, kind of the mentality at the time was not meant to be offensive, let me get into it, and everybody can make up their mind for themselves. That's what—that's ultimately the only freedom you really have. Uh, but according to Fisher Stevens, the character Ben was originally intended to be Caucasian. Uh, it was then rewritten to be more of a comedic ethnic part after Bronson Pinchot was in talks to play Ben. And of course, Bronson Pinchot played Balky Bartokamus. I think I think I pronounced the last name right. Bartokamus. Bartokamus. It's been forever since I've seen Perfect Stranger, but it was a great show, by the way. Uh, from where was he from? I'm from. Oh my God! It was a very it was a fake country, but you know he, he played a character from a fake country. Balky from Pakistan. Pakistan. Oh God, damn it, Jesse! Can you find that for me? <laughs> Balky, Balky from where was he from? Balky Bartokamus from. It was a fake country. I'm pretty sure. It was, well, if it's a real country, I apologize. I thought it was a fake country. If it says like Russia, I'm going to be upset. But it was. I know it's not. Mypos. Mypos. I don't know if it's a real country. Fictional or not. Mipos. island of Mipos. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so that's where they kind of changed it for the comedic. Now, of course, you say it's not funny to have even a fake foreigner, whatever. OK, uh, but nevertheless, so that's where then it was rewritten for that to happen. Uh, but then Bronson Pinchot got the role of Balky Bartokovich on Perfect Strangers and couldn't be in the movie. So. Then they went back to Fisher Stevens and asked if he could make his accent more ethnic to make the scripted lines funnier. Now, oh Fisher Stevens spent five weeks living in India to prepare for the role. Wow. His performance convinced many viewers that he was Indian, me included. But he, of course, he, he stated, you know, when that comes up, like, you know, he would never, he would never play that role today, nor would he ever accept that role today. Uh, rightfully so. With, that's you know that's that's how things have changed from the eighties you know for in a good in a good way, but like I said starting the podcast off I thought Fisher Stevens was an Indian an Indian actor, mm. and again that six year old Trey talking, mm. not <laughs> adult Trey watching this film in ten eighty p, you know so I was I always wondered like wow he only did two movies and he never did anything else never saw anything else ever again, uh, but in more recently in twenty fifteen comedian Aziz Ansari uh, had a discussion with Fisher Stevens about him playing the role of the Indian-American scientist Ben in this film. And Ansari said that he grew up strongly disliking both the role as a stereotype and Stevens for accepting it. But he felt Stevens was not a villain after talking to him, and, and it was simply an actor needing a job at the time when cultural considerations were simply ignored in making movies, which is, you know, that is a true, that is a true statement. Uh, a fact, you could call it a fact, I guess. Uh, but Stevens described how he did research to, he, he did his best he was playing, I mean, let's not forget, Ben Kingsley, I think, won an Oscar for playing Gandhi. Mm -hmm. A white Englishman played an Indian, you know, before. You know, so this is the same time period we're working at, looking at here. Uh, but, you know, Fisher Stevens, he took the role seriously. He didn't go into it being, 
you know, no offense to Hank Azaria, he wasn't trying to be, I guess, a stereotype. He was just trying to act as best he could as the comedic relief who happens to be an Indian character. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, th- I think that deserves to be in the discussion when people talk about this. And I know it's a very heated discussion. And again, I ultimately agree with whatever somebody who's Indian has to say about it because that's their culture. This is, you know, I'm just seeing an actor of my culture imitate somebody from their culture in, you know, based on the backstory, a very conscious and careful way. So I think this, based on this, you know, stuff or this information, I should say, I think, you know, it's unfair to chastise or, you know, say it's, it's a, it's a bad performance. Cause like I said, I think he's an amazing actor because I thought he was Indian. <laughs> That's just my opinion. You know, and it's a little wink on that too. I'm sure. No, but uh, again, Stevens, Stevens described, you know, he did, he regretted how the character made people of South Asian descent feel. He regrets that. But in the end, both him and Ansari and Stevens, or I'm sorry, him and Aziz Ansari both agreed that, you know, Short Circuit was either a new film or remake. The role of Ben should and would, as I mentioned before, be played by an actor, you know, with a South Asian background, as it, as it absolutely should. You know, but, you know, in closing, you know, some people don't care about anything I just said. Some people care a lot about it. Some people are indifferent. But the bottom line is, you know, factually... Fisher Stevens, you know, I'll come, I'll go to bat for my bro here. You know, he wasn't doing anything that I would say is bad. But again, you have to take this opinion from a white Caucasian male. So, you know, and based on the backstory, I mean, he lived in India for five weeks. He, you know, he, he researched the character to be this person. He didn't do it. You know, it, his character, this character was always meant to be comedic. But he, when he was a Caucasian, the character evolved because of background casting and then when, when it went back to him, you know, he did due diligence in researching it to try to not make it a stereotype. Yeah. You know, talking like somebody from another country in an acting situation, you know, necessarily isn't being a stereotype. Uh, there's a great channel on YouTube because I, you know, the number one place I want to visit is Japan. I've always wanted to go to Japan. I love Japanese culture. I love Japanese film. Uh, I love, you know, always I want to go up Mount Fuji. There's so much history in Japan, world history, as well as, you know, other things that I want to visit, you know, and in his video, it's it's a free plug. He's got, not that he needs any plugs. He's got millions of subscribers, but it's called Abroad in Japan. And it's a guy from England who was a school teacher teaching English in Japan, but he lives there and he has a YouTube channel. and And I love watching it because you get a sense of what Japan is like, you know, and Japan, Japanese people are very, introcentric or introvert is the wrong word but you know like they don't you know as a culture japanese have always you know not cared for foreigners like you know it's it's a very introcentric society uh like i think he says in one of the episodes like 90 something percent of japan is japanese you know for a country that that's pretty i think i thought that was a pretty amazing fact personally but anyway what i'm getting at he was talking like you know the first video i watched was like you know hey you want to go to japan here's some tips for what to do in Japan. And he says, you know, Japanese people do learn English, but their English knowledge is much like, say, when I was in school in Louisiana, I learned French. So, you know, I can say, bonjour, comment te pelle ça va, ça va bien, ah, merci, merci beaucoup, uh, you know, au revoir. You know, I can say, hello, how you doing? Thank you and goodbye. Or, you know, where's the library? <laughs> where's, the, where's the hospital? That kind of stuff. But he was saying, you know, in Japan, you know, they, they know English, but... You know, when what I'm getting at here is that if you go to Japan and you're trying to find something, 
you have he, he even says he says it sounds racist, but this is how you know they don't find it racist because this is how they understand you. But you say you don't say excuse me, where's the bathroom? You just say bathroom. And he said if they still don't understand, you know they're still kind of little, you know not quite getting it. You know, you know there's still a communication barrier. Say it like a Japanese person would. And I'm not going to say it because I'm not because <laughs> right. I'm I don't know how far you know cancel culture goes these days. But, you know, but he says, like, you know, it sounds racist to say this, but that is how you communicate. You know, that's how if you don't speak Japanese, that's how you'll be able to communicate with people in Japan and they don't have a problem with it. I feel the same way when I hear people talk French. It's like it sounds like you're doing a French accent when you're speaking French. Mm -hmm. And and honestly, I think that's subliminal. Yeah, because you want to you want to give it the. But I think that falls in line to exactly what he was saying about Japan. You want to give it the accent to. Because that's, you know, if you say, you know, we're, we're from the South, Jesse, and of course, you know, we don't talk like this, but we say, hey, man, where's the bathroom? <laughs> bathroom. Uh, and this is for an example purpose, people. Bathroom. <laughs> ah. You know, and they point you to the bathroom. Right. That's what he would say on his channel. And this is a guy who lives in Japan who knows Japanese. Very good channel if, you, if you're interested in Japanese culture. Uh. I'm sure our good friend uh, Doomslayer Ben Wyatt can chime in on that too, because he's been to Japan, lucky motherfucker, like I don't know, ten times. Well, he's <laughs> Whatever. <lives> next to it. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, I wish. I mean, I'm technically next to it because if I go into the ocean and keep swimming from California, I'll get to you know. Well, I need to go up north a little bit from where I am because I'm in SoCal <laughs> now. So, uh, yeah, but uh, you know, I always want to go there. So, but that's what I'm saying. Like, there's something. That's the difference between. Well, there's a big difference between the 80s and now, but I think that's the thing that people have to take into consideration with, and this is not necessarily cancel culture, you know, that's that's such a buzzword that turns people off, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, some things are done with, you know, with intent and respect or not meaning to offend. Or let, let me let's sum it up. Some things are done out of ignorance. You can't fix stupid, but you can fix ignorance. I love being called ignorant because ignorant means you don't know something. It is okay to be ignorant, people. I am ignorant as to whether or not Wild Wild West is actually a good movie. Because I don't fucking know. I'm assuming that's a piece of shit based on the music video and what I've seen about it. It just looks stupid as fuck. That's just my opinion. But I'm ignorant as to whether or not it actually is. Because I haven't seen it. And in and, and my... Jesse, we were talking politics and all that kind of stuff before the show. But, you know, in my personal opinion, a lot of the, the, the prop societal problems stem just from ignorance. You know, some people are what other people would consider racist, not because I would say they actually are racist. They're just ignorant because they don't understand the language that they're using. I'm not saying they're going on using the N-word. Everybody knows the N-word's horrible and should not be used. I'm talking about certain things. Like, for example, here's a perfect example. Uh, expressions, like, you know, we were joke, kind of tongue-in-cheek saying earlier. You know, some expressions, the origins of those expressions once you know them, you should you should be responsible and not say them any. For example, oh, I want to crack the whip if you don't get to work. That is a reference to slavery. <laughs> don't say it. Uh, I don't want to hear from the peanut gallery. That is a racist reference to. If you don't know, look it up. But basically, lower income people would have to go upstairs where you know, quote unquote, the peanut gallery was. So that's you know, that's where that came from. I have no problem taking it out of my vocabulary. Is it easy? No. Does it slip out? You know, I've said, oh, I don't want to hear from the peanut gallery. I've said that before, not necessarily yesterday or whatever. You know, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm not a human being and said things that I was ignorant of the meaning. 
That's all I'm getting at. Now, I'm not saying Fisher Stevens was ignorant of the meaning, but he did try to respectfully portray the character that he was paid to do in a time where that there was no discussion about it. It didn't matter. That's all I'm trying to say. So okay. long-winded, blah, blah, blah. Sorry about it if you turned it off. But uh, <laughs> some things are important to talk about. I think it's worth discussing. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, I know you like to listen to this podcast for, you know, stupid stupidity <laughs> from my part or, uh, you know, uh, you know, just off the wall tangents and all this kind of fun stuff to make you listen to it. You know, sometimes we get a little real here and sometimes, you know, you got to do that. You got to balance the comedy with some real life stuff because maybe somebody out there thought like, wow, that's a good way to put it, Trey. Or somebody might've said, this dude thinks he's woke, but he's a fucking idiot. Here's a 300 page email. I'll read it too. You don't think I will? Send it to me, motherfucker. What's that email? Because again, <laughs> 80s visited at gmail.com. There you go. In fact, but when I was doing my notes today, Jesse, I put down every, uh, <laughs> The, the handles for everything, so I don't have okay. to worry about remembering it anymore. That's a throwback to last week and pretty much every episode before this one. Uh, but anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to some more of the fun stuff. Uh, although no soundtrack album was ever released at the time, El DeBarge had a chart-topping hit with the single Who's Johnny, the theme from Short Circuit. Oh. So, uh, but actually, it's funny. The original song I was supposed to be playing in that scene at the end where he's listening to the radio and the El DeBarge song comes on uh, was uh, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. But it was a little... Mark Knopfler was a little uh, expensive to get the rights to that, so they went with El DeBarge. So there they go. Uh, of course, the sequel came out in 88. There was a script for a possible third film written in 89, rewritten in 1990, but was found unsatisfactory by the producers, and the project was subsequently scrapped. But again, I'm a trilogy person. I love trilogies. I think those are the perfect devices for storytelling. I would love a short circuit three. The bad thing is, you know, we can't see Fisher Stevens in it. You have to pay a different part. Mm. Uh, or just write them out. But like I said, I would short circuit three needs an end joke to where it's Skynet. Just tie them together with an end joke, just like they put the Xenomorph skull in Predator 2. Just throw it in there. I'm telling you. You know, the, make the 80s, make 80s movies could be a shared universe. You know, just because Freddy's cutting up people in Spring, Springwood, Illinois, and Michael Myers is in Haddonfield, uh, Illinois, and Jason's in New Jersey. There's no reason they don't exist, which we know Freddie and Jason exist in the same universe. Mm-hmm. We know same thing with Alien. Any ET is in Star Wars. ET is in the Neverending Story. Little bit part. Get it, Google it. You'll see the picture. Yeah, that, that'll do more justice than I can explaining it. Well, you know, there's so. a remake coming for Short Circuit. I'm fi- honestly, I'm totally fine with it. I would love to see an updated version. Of, how, uh, let me hold on, hold on. Let me back step one step. I would love to see a practical effect remake of this film. But guess what? <laughs> it, they're going to have maybe, you know, it's gonna, they're going to have a practical Johnny Five on set for stuff. But let's face a lot of the action is going to end up being CG, unfortunately. And that takes the heart out of it because, you know, as a kid, I thought Johnny Five was alive. Like, literally, I was like, he's alive. He's not a robot. He's alive. You know, it's, it's a Frankenstein story. It's a, it's a comedic, happy Frankenstein story. You know, as a kid, I loved Johnny Five as a character. He was cool. Hmm. I thought he was alive. You know, I want, I'm pretty sure he might have done a talk show or something or an interview. I know Jason Voorhees, Kane Hodder did as Jason Voorhees. Uh, but you know, Johnny Five was it was cool as a kid. It was like, oh, he is alive. He's an actor. He's a robot that acts. You know, that's and that, and, also, and see that's the fun thing about being a kid. Santa Claus, Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, Johnny Five. It's just fucking great. It's amazing. You know that. Uh, you know, that when you're at that age where you still have that wonder is some of the best times of your life. 
or and in hindsight, I think is some of the best moments of your life. You're watching a little interview with he's on some. Yeah, it's me though, so you could talk through it. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, it does exist. See, bam, called it. Uh, but I mean, Johnny Five, it was great. You know, is uh, I think I think he's an iconic '80s character. It's gonna be interesting to see how he gets in our next death match in about 80 more episodes, <laughs> and we have enough characters to do it. I'm calling it now. He might be the winner <laughs> unless we get another Superman movie in there. Uh, you know, but uh, it's just. What I was kind of touching on is like, you know, growing up, you know, I was a child and my childhood was the 80s. My teens were in the 90s and my adulthood was in the, you know, late 90s, 2000s. So, you know, I, my child, my form, child, you know, oh, oh, the formation, you know, your childhood formation and all that, you know, psychological stuff for me was the 80s. Like, literally, I was born January 30th, 1980. I literally grew up in the 80s, you know, right, you know, I miss being a teenager in the 80s by just, you know, two, three years. Uh, so all my foundations, all my morals, you know, were based on, you know, He-Man and G.I. Joe at the end of the episode. Hey, kids, on this episode, Skeletor was selfish. Don't be selfish. That gives you the power. He-Man. You know, I learned more from those cartoons in Sunday school. But, you know, getting at, you know, but in the 80s, it was practical. That's, that's, the, that's the other thing I'm, I'm kind of leading to here. You know, grow, if you grew up in the 90s, 2000s, like, you know, a lot of the stuff you see isn't real. You know, the dinosaurs in Jurassic World aren't real. Now, of course, dinosaurs were real. Uh, duh, Trey, they're not real today. It's a fucking movie. In Jurassic Park, 1991, two, early 90s, uh, those, there were real physical animatronic dinosaurs on the set. And the, that's, I'll always use Jurassic Park as the perfect example, the oldest perfect example of blending CG with practical effects to where an, you know, nowadays with, you know, 4K and all that, it's a, a little bit more up. That's obviously the CG dino, but it's blended so well and used sparingly. They don't use it because they have to use it. They use it because it was a tool for this moment. You know, the raptor jumping up and grabbing her, missing her in the vent, you know. That's not an animatronic, that's CG. And they CG the actress's face onto the stunt double too, you know. Groundbreaking, amazing. You never get taken out of Jurassic Park with the CG. 90% of the movies today, you get taken out of it. You know, if they try to do practical, the second the CG shows up, horror movies, perfect example these days. A lot of practical stuff in them. But then guess what? Guess what they cheap out and do? They CG the blood. Mm-hmm. No. Stop. Stop, stop. Now, I'm fine with if there's practical blood and maybe you do like a little blood splatter on the camera. Or you, you might, you may, in enhancing with CG, I'm 100% fine with. I think that's fine. But have something on the set. It pr- it's proven that the actors are better with it. It looks better. It holds up better, et cetera, et cetera. But everybody knows I love to go on anti-CG rants. Or, you know, resp- no, uh, I'm not anti-CG. My official, the official stance of the 80s Revisited podcast, Jesse, you can differ, obviously, because it's not mm-hmm. a dictatorship, is that responsible CG is what we want. When do we want it? Now. That's our mm-hmm. mantra, one of our mantras here. So, but hey, let's round up. We're getting a little long here. Uh, score-wise, I'd give it a six. Uh, only because it's not... Re- truly revisiting Short Circuit, it was not the first one, again, not too much remembered, honestly, in my memory, to draw upon, because part two, I remember so much more. I remember his red toolbox thing, he has a hang glider, they get caught in a freezer, they're in the sewer at some point, etc., etc. I remember so much more about part two. So, uh, this is still a fun film. I think kids would like it, because Johnny Five, it's great, that's the, that's the thing, you know, when you're a kid watching this, Johnny Five is the star of these movies. You know, I really hope if they do do a remake... Do do, haha, <laughs> a remake that uh, you know, it works. 
is the main thing. But you're going to need that characterization, that humanistic characterization Tim Blaney did with his voice. You know, and the voice is a huge part of it, too. You know, voice acting is acting. You know, the combination of that led to this character, you know. So, and it, and it worked. It worked great for this film. And, but as a, the film as a whole is not as good as just that, which is why I give it a six. Uh, you know, not bad, not good, not great, but it's good. I think I'd say it's, it's solid. It's worth watching for sure. So revisit it is revisit it is the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, but in the real world, again, this came out May 9th, 1986, just three days later, very apropos to today, NBC unveiled its current Peacock logo at the finale of its 60th anniversary special. A logo that is now the name of their streaming service because everybody has a streaming service now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So back to the future uh, this week. Uh, two things. I got a video game and I got a movie. I actually got two movies. First off, uh, the one I'll talk the less amount of time about. Uh, last night we watched the do- – oh, actually, just, I saw two documentaries recently that were absolutely fantastic and I highly, highly recommend. Uh, the first one is Val. Obviously, it's a documentary called Val. It's about Val Kilmer. And uh, his recent struggles in his life. Uh, and going back, you can, you know, I'm not just saying this because he just released a documentary. You can go back to the earlier episodes of this podcast with uh, Daniel as a co-host. We would, you know, we made it a, almost a point to mention Val Kilmer every episode. Uh, you know, and unfortunately with his medical condition, which if you didn't know, I mean, he had throat cancer and he can't talk. Without like, uh, watch, watch the documentary. It fills you all in. It's free on Prime, I think. Uh, it is an amazing documentary uh, about the life of a person you saw on screen. And as a kid, I wanted to be Mad Mardigan. When I watched Top Gun, I always thought Iceman was cooler than Maverick. Uh, Doc Holliday and Tombstone. Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, I'm a, uh, Real Genius, which we covered on the podcast. Uh, Salt and Sea is, one of the, I think, one of his most underrated performances. If you haven't seen it... Go watch Assault and See the Doors. Uh, he had a, he had an amazing career. He was you know, I didn't I didn't care for Batman Forever. It's better than Batman and Robin, uh, you know. But I think that's more shoe, Shoemaker's fault. You know, Val Kilmer to me is one of the iconic actors of my childhood, mainly because of Willow. Because Willow was one of my was my favorite movie for the longest time. I wanted to be Mad Martin. Whenever we were at Dake of. Uh, the uh, daycare after school when the kids would play, he'd be like, okay, who you want to be? I want to be, I'm going to be Rambo. I'm Ed Mardigan. Well, I got a gun. I'm like, well, I can block up my sword because I'm the greatest swordsman that ever lived. You know, kid playground talk, which was totally wrong because <laughs> Ed Mardigan we aced by Rambo. No offense, Val. But, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great documentary. It gives such insight on the life of an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because we have these ideas like, yeah, oh yeah, Arnold just lives in his mansion and Smoke cigars and drives his Hummer and works out, you know, whatever. Uh, but it gives such insight to as you know for him as a child and the tragedies that he had in his life. It's such a relatable film. And there's a scene near the end. Uh, the whole thing's kind of you know it's, it's the whole thing's kind of melancholy and, and a bit sad because you know we're not going to see him act the way that you know he's not going to get that. I mean, he could. I mean, there's roles out there that could that will work for him. I mean, he's in the new Top Gun. Hopefully it's not just like five seconds because there's there's a scene of a funeral in the new Top Gun movie. Hopefully it's not five seconds and they kill off Iceman. Uh, <laughs> you know there there are ways that he could there are roles he could still play. Obviously not that many because of his impediment. But you know it's, that doesn't you know he's still you know he honestly kind of had the trajectory of Nick oh, not not the trajectory but kind of like the Nick Cage thing 
to where I think he's unfairly judged by the later part of his career. Because, uh, you know, he had a lot of direct-to-video stuff. And Jesse, if I remember correctly, didn't you work with him on the set of a film? Or one of the films that was filming in Baton Rouge, he was on set for like a day or something? Yeah. Was that you or? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Blood Out. He played yeah, Arturo, like, the crime lord. <laughs> I think you'll say, like his one line, I think you or Matt kept telling me, he kept saying like, dance! Or something like, I, I don't remember the story, you have to tell it, but uh, yeah, I Matt, just remember and, something Matt, about that. Yeah, Matt worked on it more than I did. But uh, mm. yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was there for a day, doing his mm-hmm. Val Kilmer thing. And of course, he was the villain MacGruber too. If you want to see him as a villain, <laughs> you want to see Val Kilmer with a celery, st- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with a uh, celery stick up his butt dancing. Yeah. No, that was Ryan Phillippe with that. I think yeah, Ryan Phillippe. Some, somebody, somebody had a celery stick in their ass in MacGruber. That's all I remember because the skit was funnier than the show than the movie to me. But yeah, again, I I have always had a spot in my heart for Val Kilmer because of the iconic films that he was in in my childhood and in my teens and everything else. You know, I mean, you know, his performance in Doc Holliday is probably one of the and, and, excuse me, his performance as Doc Holliday in Tombstone. Yeah. If I had to do a list of the top ten performances ever, it would be in that list. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. That mo- Tombstone. If you want to look, break it down, it is such a '90s movie. It is ex- it is a '90s western, but that cast is unfucking touchable. As a whole, honestly, it's not that good of a movie, personally. But that you. cast is so good. '80s revisited it, gmail.com. Exactly. You know, it, Tombstone <laughs> is not. It, it's not my favorite western, but it's the one I'll watch ninety percent of the time. Like you want to watch a western, put on Tombstone. It's incredibly watchable, but it's again, it's you know. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's a good movie. It's not a great movie. But the performance, again, I can't, Bill Paxton, Sam Elliott, Powers Booth, Michael Bean, Jason freaking Priestley even, is it? <laughs> Stephen Lang, Dana Delane, Thomas Hayden Church, Kurt fucking Russell is Wyatt Earp, and Val Kilmer is his number two with Doc Holliday. And, and that's the chemistry they have with each other mm. makes that last scene in the hospital so heart-wrenching. Yeah. It's so, and it's that that's the thing this movie has a bad script oh no it has some great lines but again it's a 90s western that's what i'm saying it's an i don't care for the 90s aesthetic in the western genre with the exception of say dancing with dances with wolves uh you know that you know i'm trying to think of another big 90s western uh you know but again it's a good movie but it's not it's it's so 90s the the slow-mo riding handshake is so dumb it's, I just bust out laughing all over the place. Like, they wouldn't do that. Uh, but nevertheless, it's still a fun movie. I still love Tombstone, don't get me wrong. But uh, Doc Holliday's amazing. But anyway, I said I wasn't going to talk the most about this movie, but I ended up going on a tangent to Tombstone. Watch the documentary, Val. It's amazing. It's heart-wrenching, and it's beautiful at the same time. It's a great... Uh, I'm not going to say uh, end cap. I'm going to say it, but it's a great insight into, I think, an underrated and underappreciated actor... Uh, who had a hell of a life. And that's the that's sad thing about it. And speaking about a hell of a life, the other documentary I saw, we watched it last night, is Roadrunner. And that's the one about Anthony Bourdain. Hmm. That one was good. Uh, I've always I always enjoyed Anthony Bourdain because of his writing. I never read his book. But he his narration for uh, Parts Unknown and his shows, the way he, he described his journeys, was all, that was the key to me uh, that endeared Anthony Bourdain to me, was his way of communicating. Uh, I'd say he was a modern, uh, modern, uh, he was a recent Hunter S. Thompson is the way I would kind of put it. He was enigmatic, troubled, 
but brilliant. And the film does a great job, uh, much how Val gives you like that insight behind an actor and the, and you know his that this person's journey of life where the road took him. Roadrunner gives you the same thing, but in a totally different way. You know, not a different life, but uh, but regarded in the same way. And it was it was just it's it's heart wrenching. It's brilliant. You realize what a bastard he was, but you you know you real you get the full picture of the man. And that's what I think Val does. But the end result's a little better, so to speak. But, you know, but uh, highly recommend Roadrunner. Great, great soundtrack on Roadrunner, by the way. Uh, but it's, uh, I don't know if it's streaming. I don't, where did we watch it? We watched it. Where, yeah, I don't was it on Hulu or something? Here. Or CNN. It was like a CNN thing where we saw it. Anyway, it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, so, if, again, I love documentaries. If you like documentaries, watch it. Uh, well, with uh, as long, uh, same thing with um, it was on Amazon. I think because we watched Val. Yeah, I think it was, we watched that one with my brother at uh, their house on Amazon. Uh, I think it's where we watched Roadrunner, uh, the service that we watched it on. But uh, anyway, the the big one that I, I saw since last week, and the one that you see a lot of memes about right now, Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Never has there been a more redemptive movie for a franchise, mm-hmm. as opposed to the original Suicide Squad with the worst Joker performance in the history of the world, as opposed to James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Uh, I fucking loved this movie so much. I had such a great time. I did not want this movie to end. Speaking no of a great ensemble I cast... Get, I want to watch it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those... Uh, well, this is, the, this is the first five seconds. It starts at the end and goes... It does that, you know... Here's where we're at. Right. Here's where. Here's where, how we got here. Let's finish it up, kind of formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's called the Suicide Squad. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that I need to explain that to anybody. But uh, it is a. It is. It is. This is the biggest. But here's the best way to put it. It's a James Gunn film. James Gunn has not made a bad movie to me. Super Guardians of the Galaxy one and two. Super uh, Slither. Uh, um, oh, I'm missing uh, another one that's um, on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of uh, Suicide Squad, but it's he's he is such just his way of writing and directing is just so it's it, it's exactly my sense of humor. It's exactly my taste. Uh, it's just amazing. He he his, I I'm a I'm a full on mark for James Gunn. But this move, the suicide, you know, Suicide Squad is the old one. The Suicide Squad is the new one. And you got Idris Elba, who's, uh, you know, he's getting more roles, thankfully, like more action roles, which he's such a good actor in everything. But I love him in action movies. He's so good in this. Uh, Margot Robbie, again, proving why she's, you know, the most beautiful woman in the world right now. And a phenomenal actress on top of that. John Cena is great. Joel Kinnaman's great. Every actor in this film is perfectly cast for what their character needs to do. 100%. Prove me fucking wrong. Uh, the score, the, again, James Gunn, the soundtracks for Guardians 1 and 2, amazing. Some of the best movie soundtracks in recent memory and of all time, I'd say. The soundtrack bangs. The score is by John Murphy. Who's John Murphy, Trey? You should fucking know this. He did the score for Sunshine, the greatest film score that was ever done. In fact, at the end of this movie, there is a part, like, John Murphy loves certain notes from that score. Because the end of the Suicide Squad, there are certain notes 
that's it's like that sounds just like a little snippet of the Sunshine score. He throws it in there. He threw it in there. He threw in uh, Miami. Well, Miami Vice was before Sunshine, so he kind of had that melody in his head before. Uh, but there's reminiscent stuff in the Colin Farrell, Jamie Foxx, Miami Vice, because he did the score for that one, that you see where he was going with that little piece of music, and then he full-blown did it in Sunshine, and he still likes to use it in some of his scores, as in the end of Suicide Squad. But again, I, I seriously, why, if if you if you if you enjoy if you find yourself like God, I, I tend to agree with Trey on a lot of the stuff he says, or you know most of it. I'm telling you, if you haven't seen this movie, it's better than any Marvel movie. What was the last? Uh, let's see, Endgame. It's it's the it's the best superhero movie since Endgame that I can think of off the top of my head without looking at a list of every superhero movie that came out since then. Uh, but seriously, it's in my top ten comic book movies by far. Uh, but in a nutshell, James Gunn came from Trauma. Toxic Avenger, Tromeo and Juliet, all those, you know, low budget, gross, disgusting, so bad they're good, some of them, some of them so good, they're great movies uh, from Troma. And the best way I can sum up Suicide Squad is it is the biggest budget, best Troma movie that's ever been made. The gore is amazing. King Shark is my favorite character now. Uh, <laughs> brilliantly voiced by Sylvester Stallone and Mocap, by the way. So, uh, Jesse, you need to see it. It's amazing. Highest possible recommendation. I love it. Vi- I love Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. That is perfect casting from comic to screen. Mm-hmm. You know, she was good in the original one. Don't get me wrong. She's a phenomenal actress. But the vitriol and the meanness of that character, Viola Davis scares me because of her portrayal of Amanda Waller. She is so mean and perfect. She is comic book accurate uh, in this film. And again, I- I'm just going to keep sucking its dick. It's so fucking good. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, this is the first film in a long, long time that I've watched more than once. Like um, after it was done, the next day watched it again. I've seen it three times already. I love this movie, hundred percent. Again, I love James Gunn, so there's a little bit of uh, fanboying there. But I just, I truly enjoyed this movie. I had a smile on my face the whole time. Something the Jungle Cruise couldn't fucking do. Uh, for a recent example. You know, so loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, any recent movies that you've seen, Jesse? Um, no, I watched a movie last night called Blaze. It was filmed in uh, Baton Rouge. Oh, oh, is that the one with uh, Paul Newman about the? No, I no, think, no, no. Uh, this is a recent release. It was directed by Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke has a uh, studio here, or uh, is a oh, I don't know that. Here. Yeah, it's like in North Baton Rouge, um, and he made this movie. Ethan Hawke, poor man, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Poor man's Tom Cruise. Hey, he let, me, let, me, in it. let me put an asterisk by that. Mm-hmm. I say that acting-wise. I don't like him as an... I, he's not a bad actor, but I don't think he's, you know, a great actor. Again, Dennis, he is to Tom Cruise what Dennis Quaid is to Harrison Ford. Acting-wise. How I will say this. I think Ethan Hawke is a fantastic writer. Mm-hmm. I think that's where his strength lies. Uh, he has a couple of books. He wrote the screenplay for the before, after... Sunset Trilogy, I forget the, the middle one. Uh, but I think he's a great actor, uh, excuse me, a great writer. Decent actor, but a very strong writer, to sum up my thought, to finish that. <laughs> but anyway, about that movie, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> oh yeah, it's about uh, Blaze Foley, who's a songwriter um, who is tragically killed, uh, defending hmm. one of his friends. Um, but he oh, kind of wow. went under the radar, and, you know, this is based on a true story. Uh, mm. But he did some performances with uh, Willie Nelson and stuff like that, and they play his song oh, wow. still. Uh, he was a, he, to the this song guy, he was... Clay Pigeons. It's a good little song. That's probably okay. one of his was, most popular ones. 
was he he's from Louisiana or it just happens to be filmed in Louisiana? No, it was just filmed in Louisiana. He actually okay. went all over the place. Uh I don't gotcha. even, I don't know if his story ever crossed through Louisiana, but he's he yeah, died first in time Austin, I've ever Texas. heard of it. Uh, oh. Yeah. But there's lots of locations gotcha. in there that you'd find familiar because you're like, oh, okay. I've been there. <laughs> I gotcha. got a shot in front of the Ziegler's on Florida. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> God. These are local references. That brings back memories. Yeah, there's one yeah. by the Blues Room over by the Hilton, downtown Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah, just lots of local That's stuff funny. in there. That's cool. But the, the movie itself, good movie or? Yeah, it's a decent movie. It, it got me mm-hmm. writing uh, songs again, you know. Oh, that's cool. That's something great. I normally do anyway. It's just, uh, you know, whenever yeah. you see something like that, it makes you, like, mm-hmm. fire up the pen again. Yeah, not on my radar at all, but now What's I want to see What's on Netflix so. till uh, August uh, 29th? Till August 11th. And, oh, shit, I got to go, Jesse. Oh, yeah. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, but uh, I did want to mention a game that I played or finished, and that was the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Let me say something. I... Uh, I love the Final Fantasy series. Mm-hmm. I never thought seven was the best. I always I thought eight was way better, and I still like eight much better than the OG seven. Uh, I liked fifteen, the new the the variants of the battle system, and everything. Uh, fifteen was a lot more linear, and then it kind of fully opens up, and then you know you when you're ready to finish it, you kind of finish it. Uh, I fucking hated the Final Fantasy seven remake. It was <laughs> basically you you know the joy in an RPG for me is freedom. Freedom to build your character, freedom to go explore that. Oh crap! I can't fight this thing yet. This is uh, I, I obviously can't go here yet. You know, the, it's the exploration, the the freedom, the building of your characters. The Final Fantasy VII remake, gorgeous, but they they did they hobbited it. They took a game that in total is around forty hours and made the first ten hours from the OG game, the first disc of the four discs. Was it four? Was it four or two? I don't remember. I think it was four. Three or four, I don't remember. But um, I was thinking it was three. That could be wrong. It was three or four for sure. Definitely, uh, I want to say, unless it was two. No, I think it was three because (laughs) you had the disc on one side of, and both sides of one side of the case. Then they open the other side of the case. You had the thick ass instruction manual and the other disc on the other side. I think. Uh, Three. Three. Yep. Bam. Yep. Wow, sixty-four bucks for an OG one. Wow, I think I sold it at a garage sale for like five, ten years ago. Uh, but anyway, the remake sucks. Like, I, people playing Final Fantasy VII, the, the Seven remake now, are just the first thing they say is, "Why is this? Why do people say this was the greatest game ever made?" It's not because the remake is fucking shit. the The battle system is it doesn't work well for the game. Uh, you know, in the, in the OG game, you didn't you didn't get now. As far as I remember, I have I played Final Fantasy VII once and did not go back to it because I play. You know, those RPGs I play them once. You know, I, I replayed three, which you know, which is our three. Uh, the actual well, no, I played three for the first time ever on my phone because I never had a DS. But I did replay six. Is the only one I've replayed start to finish because they came out on the phone. Uh, well, they all of them up to seven are on the phone now anyway. Uh, so you know what? Go get the original seven and play it on your iPhone, and don't even though the the only reason I'm, I got the seven remake is because it was free. Uh, PS Now or uh, you know one of the free games for the month for PSN. Mm. But you know, I remember the material system came out. I didn't mind it. I liked the fact that I could ooh I can enchant this weapon with this. I can make this spell multiple. 
but they're so stingy with like the the multiple spell materia, uh, and you're constantly getting like, Cloud Eris uh, has left the party, Tifa has left the party, Barrett has joined the party, Tifa's back in the party, Barrett's out of the party. You're constantly ever between every practical section of the game stopping to reslot your materia. I honestly, again, it might have been in the, in the original. It's just been so long I don't remember it. But it was out of control in this one. Between boss fights, I had to lose boss fights to get back to where like it restarts you at them. But it restarts you where you can adjust your equipment just so I could fight the boss after the next boss because I, you can't. Ch- you have, it's so stingy with the material placement. Uh, and again, they, what I meant when they hobbitized it is they, they, you know, it's like a piece of gum. Chewing that piece of gum is good. A piece of gum's great. Mm, this is a good piece of gum. Now take that piece of gum out and take just a, you know, peel off a third of it and start chewing it. It's not as good. You stretched it too thin. They take story beats in this game and just spread them out so long. It is so it was a slog to finish this game. I was like, good God. There's uh there's I think 16, six there's 18 chapters, I think. And I'm just sitting here like, oh. Whew. Chapter 14, four more to go. Jesus Christ. And then it's just like, I could not wait for this to be over. They fucked it up. I did not like the Final fifteen, uh, Final Fantasy 15 battle system in 7. You know, it's it needed more refinement. It was unnecessarily difficult in some parts. Uh, just, it's just boring. Like, and so many, uh, oh, here's the thing. Like, you know, to artificial, artificial things happening just to lengthen the length of the game. To make it longer for no reason. Let's walk over here. Oh, crap. This is broken. We're going to need to fix this with these cranes. We need to go back. You know, we now go to all this. Meaning, you're only going, like, in game world, like, 100 feet. But it takes you, like, two hours game time because you have to go move this little thing here. Like, the, the mini games are shit. Like, seriously, I fucking hated this game. I liked it. loved it at first. It's so, you, ne- you never get any real freedom in the game. Your freedom is like a tiny little hub world with four shops. You know, 15, when it opens up, you got the, you're, it's like good old Final Fantasy. Go wherever you want, do what you want, fight the giant out of man toys if you want to and get your ass kicked. Do what you want, the freedom there. Uh, Final Fantasy, the one with lightning. Was that? Uh, 13? 13? Yeah, 13, because 12 was uh, with uh, Bosch and, uh, I forgot Zidane, not Zidane. I forget their name, but it had the the uh, bunny girl Fran in it too. Uh, so it was thirteen. Uh, you know, thirteen was kind of the first one that was really kind of linear for a good bit. But then it again, it gets to that point, it opens up, and it's it's that's when it's like yes, and then it's so much fun. Final Fantasy VII remake was never fun for me. I will not be buying and or pl- probably even playing, even if it's free on PSN, uh, the next quarter of the damn game. Because it was just like, it was a slog. I'm sitting here looking at the forest and uh, near Automata and the Mass Effect remasters that came out. Like, I really want to play the, I want to play those so bad. I don't want to play this game. But I have a, I'm that type of gamer. Like, if I'm going to start a game, I'm going to finish it. Nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten, I'm saying that. <laughs> there are some games that are, in fact, so bad. But I kept playing seven, just like, it's got to, they got to open it up. They got to open it up. They got, it's got to, you know, but again, like I said, if, if nobody's ever played Final Fantasy VII before, don't start with this one. Play the original on your phone, iPad, it's probably on Steam. Do not play this remake. Sure, it looks pretty. It doesn't look as horrible as the seven. Actually, the real seven holds up. This game is shit. It's be- It's uh, it's the most beautiful piece of shit you've ever seen. I fucking hated it. <laughs> there you go. 
send your comments on to AsiaVisited at gmail.com. Uh, Jesse, any games you've been playing, board or video, or video or otherwise, I guess it was, is the correct way I wanted to segue well, into that. Yeah. Well, we're streaming games, of course, always at twitch.tv slash heartboardgames. Uh, played a uh, new release, Holler Tau, but um, as far as video games goes, played uh, Far Cry 5 for the first is time. That the, is that the one from a couple years ago with the cult, or is that the new one? Yeah, is it a new yeah, one yeah. Since? Yeah, the, uh, I love that the one. Cult. Um, so I'm playing it co-op with uh, my friend Joe, and so you have played Far Cry Five. Yeah, it's and, and the expansion. Reminds me expansion, so much but, uh, of um, the Tom Clancy game Wildlands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, oh, I'm like this is basically Wildlands yeah. with a different story going on. <laughs> it just feels mm-hmm. like Wildlands. Maybe a lot of games do that now, where you're just open world which is great i mean i'm having fun with it but it's open world but it really is just like whatever you stumble across and do that'll help this area a little bit more but yeah wildlands Mm -hmm. just felt the same way yeah uh, but now while wildlands i think was i don't think i played wildlands i played the one before that where it was wildlands was like more of an arcade kind of shooter not quite as realistic i think is that correct well see i looked at the four player youtube and the third option here is wildlands versus far cry 5 uh, Wild, I could have swore you played that with. Um, with okay, because uh, well, they had, they had, yeah, they had, they had, they had another Lands. one with. Okay, it looks like it, but they had another one that looked just very similar that came out recently. That was like a little different. I could have swore you played uh, this with uh, Perry. Yeah, but there was. Um, let me see if I can find out what I'm talking about. Make sure I'm not talking out of my ass here. Let me see. But yeah, the there there was one like that, but there was another one. That was very similar to it. Breakpoint. Was it Breakpoint? Yeah, Ghost Recon Break. That's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, that was a recent, a more recent one that like kind of got like bad reviews and nobody liked it. But yeah, so Wildlands is the one that Perry and Joe played a whole lot. Tons and uh, tons. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Wildlands, you are correct. Yeah, that is that one. I, I was thinking Breakpoint was the new one. Uh, I, I actually loved solo. it. Yeah. So I'm having a good time yeah, with I, Far Cry. Um, but yeah, this it really did remind me of this. <laughs> Just the mm-hmm. layout of yeah. it. Well, I mean, of course, you know, Recon, you know, in Far Cry, well, yeah, no, yeah, you are trying to be stealthy because, like, trying to take the camps without, like, raising alarms and everything. Yeah. I don't know. I, th- I, think, I, I think it does have, it's like, uh, it's like, I think it's like the same brand of chips, but each one's a different flavor, if that makes sense. Like, Recon yeah. is yeah. plain with sea salt, and then Far Cry is, you know, zesty barbecue. <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of, because, you know, go, uh, Wildlands is very realistic, whereas mm-hmm. Far Cry is obviously... <laughs> Yeah, Not Far Cry is a bit far fetched, but uh, yeah, I mean, so far it's been kind of the same. Yeah, it's been a little more goofy on the Far Cry mm-hmm. side, which I, it's fine. I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, my my personal taste do lend, lend lend itself more to the gameplay style of Ghost Recon, mm-hmm. of you know planning everything. Even though you technically go in guns blazing, but you know you're, it's you're definitely making it harder for you. Whereas in Far Cry, when I'm taking a or Far Cry 5 when I'm taking a location and the alarm goes off, I'm not like, fuck, I'm just like, oh, let me switch from my bow of this heavy machine gun and, you know, then I just right. got to change my tactics. You know, I'm not like, oh, shit, we're in Ghost Recon. I'm like, alarm. I'm like, oh, fuck, like, quick, you know, you know, panic mode, like, assess, 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 and adapt. Whereas in Far Cry, it's just like, it's like, it's time for the big boys, you know. <laughs> you know, suppressors yeah. off kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I enjoyed Far Cry Five. 
The story's good too. I enjoy the story. Like uh yeah, the overall one, story. I mean, we haven't played a lot of it yet. We played about maybe eight hours worth. But there's one thing that keeps happening in this first area we're in. We're kinda of taking our time with it. Um every time they want to tell some storyline, they're always like, Use the bliss bullets. They only need one to hit them. It's just like that's <laughs> such a cop out for story. It's like, we need you yeah. to interact with the boss, so here's how we're gonna do it. And shoot you with these mm-hmm. bliss bullets that you know just knock you out, and then uh, that way the boss can have his way with you until he eventually releases you, so you can continue the story. Yeah, exactly. Like he could just wipe you out, be done with it, lock you up or whatever. But nope, he's like, no, I'm gonna let you go because I think you can change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that. that well, you know, uh, in the sense. beginning of the game, there's a there's, you can end the game in the first five minutes. By just never agreeing to arrest the uh, the guy. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I think I there's three about that actually. There's three endings to the game. I want to say there's a you know, there's two through a choice at the end of the story, and then in the beginning, if you just they keep saying arrest them, arrest them. If you don't, you 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 can beat the game right there with like the, <laughs> the third worst you know the worst ending so to speak. Oh, I might so, have to do. But that then where's the fun later. in that? <laughs> but uh, def- I definitely recommend getting all the uh, the uh, teammates. I think I used the there was a a dog or a pig, pig might have been in the expansion or whatever, but uh, the animal oh the cougar one I think is really good the cat one <laughs> is really good if I remember wow. correctly. Uh, yeah, I haven't even touched companions yet. You know, because I got an actual player as a companion. <laughs> oh, is well. Melissa's playing with you or no 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 Joe's playing with me. Oh um, cool yeah yeah we played like other games like a way out together and stuff like that. Oh cool. Yeah, I was oh, yeah. I had to play it all by myself when I had a working Xbox. So, but yeah, when you, I, I don't know if they even let you get the companions in multiplayer like that because if y'all, each of y'all could have a companion, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, for that that would be so much fun in that game because like the dog will like get you ammo and stuff, like he'll get you items in the area, but then the cougar will like stealth kill enemies and stuff. So, because I'll be sitting there like arrow to the head of this dude in a tower, and then the guy under the tower, right as he looks up, the cougar's like, oh. <laughs> and like takes him out, you know. So it's. That, that kind of wilderness or, you know, almost like first blood Rambo kind of gameplay is what really, I mean, I had, a t- I had so much fun with that game. See, I Even after I beat it, I would just go in the world and do lands. stuff. Yeah, Wildlands, mm-hmm. I did a lot more stealthy things. Like, I started off in Far Cry, but with two of us going, like, mm-hmm. some reason one of us gets seen of it, like, really quick. Oh, well, yeah, that's how it always works. Like, every time we play Rainbow Six Siege, or when we used to, when I had an Xbox that worked... You know, I'm, I would always, my, I would always pick the operative that like you know could see through walls or like could see the cameras to ha- like to hack and like say, okay guys we got four people in the north room you know the support player mm-hmm. but I'm playing with Perry and Joe <laughs> <laughs> who are both you know ones you know they're Tango and Cash you right. know <laughs> and Keep I'm uh, uh, I'm the analyst like no guys <laughs> they just go in I'm down I'm and, and it's just me you know there were yep. so many times when we played Rainbow Six they're dead. Now, granted, they might have killed fifty percent of the enemies, and then I, you know, some. If I got mad about it, I say I say mad, but like I'll teach them, you know. Like sometimes I would spend I would spend the next twenty minutes while they're watching of me doing it by myself, you know, stealth and utilizing my character's abilities and stuff like that, you know, as opposed to just you know, knock knock, oh I'm hit, oh I'm dead. Like no, you, you know, you gotta. It, it's not Halo, you know. You can't just run in. I mean, you can if you know where every enemy is, because I told you where they are, so you know you go, brap, brap. That's what you're supposed to do. But, you know, yeah. it's still fun. I ain't compl- I'm not complaining. It's, well, I guess I'm, it kind of sounds like I'm complaining, but I'm not really not complaining. <laughs> but, uh, 
Anyway, a couple of emails. In fact, one of these emails literally came while we were recording last week. So, uh, where's my? There we go. Uh, the first one's from Ross Jacobs. Uh, he says they're back. And this was uh, literally this was the one that came while we were recording last week because uh, it was the Gmail thing says I received that at one forty-five p.m. seven days ago, and that was literally one hour ago. Uh, Mark the one week anniversary. Anyway, he says, Dear Trey and Jesse, it was so good the other day to see that you're both back with a new episode of 80s Revisited. Having no new episodes to listen to now for over a year, I've gone back and re-listened to all your back catalog in no particular order than whatever 80s movie I happen to have been watching that evening. You get the official 80s Revisited you know, badge of honor, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, listening to this podcast has been a weekly treat throughout the last year of nothing to do apart from working from home. I thought this was going to be the highlight of my day and carried on about my day. Little did I realize, and he's British because he spells it with an S, uh, that uh, my wife had a big announcement for me later that evening. Turns out he's going to be, a, or I'm sorry, uh, turns out I'm going to be a father, fellas. Looks like I'm going to get the pleasure of revisiting these movies through the eyes of my very own little one. Glad you guys are back, and I look forward to more episodes to come. Kind regards, Ross from Norfolk, England. P.S. My wife suggested the name Autumn for a girl. Thought you'd appreciate that. Cowabunga. So first off, con- like, congratulations. Uh, it's tough. It's hard. But I promise you, Ross, you'll, you'll get through it just fine. Uh, the best – I always like to share this when people that I know, now that I can say this with uh, – Authority or experience, I guess is a better word. Uh, don't when when you when you get when you have your child, don't be quiet around it when they're sleeping. Don't be afraid about shutting the door so quietly, or you know stuff like that. Uh, a friend of Perry, the one we mentioned, I played Rainbow Six with, and many other games, and I think it was on the Star Wars episodes of the podcast, which nobody could hear anything, <laughs> <laughs> and got us our first non five star review because of that episode. Uh, the uh, you know your your kids learn to sleep through that. I can tell you right now, my parents tippy-toed around me when I slept because I'm a light fucking sleeper. But Violet, I swear to like, she slept. When we, the first time we flew to Los Angeles, she slept. We, we, the seats we usually get are by the wing, uh, where they look, they have a little more comfort. I mean, uh, like comfort plus area, so to speak. So the engine is literally outside the window. She slept through the engine, like landing. And by landing, I mean when they kick it in reverse. So it's like, yeah. She didn't wake up till the fucking lights came on and we had to like, kind of like jiggle the car seat to get her out. So that's my number one advice as a parent. Don't tippy toe around your kids when they're sleeping. Make noise. I mean, don't go around with a drum, but, you know, don't be too worried about being quiet when they're asleep. They'll learn to sleep through it at a young age. And like now we got to kind of shake her to wake her up. So when we're putting her down at night and she goes and Violet goes to sleep and I know she's sleeping, I can hear that. <sighs> that cute, beautiful little soft little snore she does. I can get up. You know, if my joints crack because I'm an old fucking man or I knock or the door slams a little harder, she doesn't fucking budge. That's my number one piece of advice. And like you, dude, I cannot wait for to, to watch 80s movies with her or uh, you know, more 80s movies with my child. Because I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago or last week. I think it was last week. Finally got her to sit through one. And it was Little Mermaid. So, but uh, like I said, you know, when I was her age, I was watching E.T. I can't get her to watch E.T. yet. She would just stare at it and be like. What's that? You know, she'll ask questions about it, and then she's on to something else. That's that's the <laughs> tricky part. So if I learn any tips for getting our ki- our, our modern kids to watch, sit through entire movies while they're still at a young age, I'll definitely let you know. But nevertheless, like seriously, Ross, that's awesome, man. Uh, I know it's scary. It's scary. It's you're like, uh, you're, you're gonna be nervous. You are going to mess up, but it's okay because 
every parent messes up. There's no perfect parents in this world, but there, but there's plenty of good parents, and that's all you got to try to be is be a good parent. Uh, that's all we can try to do because we're going to learn from the mistakes that we made. So you know, don't don't fret over if you if you make a mistake or you know. I think one of the biggest things that I talked had a really good conversation with my brother about. You know, the biggest regret I have is one time I lost my temper with Violet when she was a baby, and I kind of yelled. I was like, "Shut up! Like, can't you just shut up?" You know, because I can't. I couldn't stop her from crying. That's fine. You know, I'm not proud of that, but I've never. You know, sometimes you know, it's never happened again because the second it happened, me was like, "Oh, that's stupid. Don't do that. You're gonna learn. You're gonna fall down a little bit. You know, but you're never gonna be out of commission. You just got to keep going and learn." And just love them. That's all you got. You got to love your kids. That's all it takes. And I'm, I'm only talking from three years of experience because Violet's three. Uh, you know, so through my experience, that's, that's the number one thing. But it's, it's, it's exciting. I'm when, you know, I, proud dad moment where I was watching, we were, me and my brother were at my parents' house because we go there every Sunday. We were watching the Masters of the Universe reboot on Netflix, which is fan-fucking-tastic, by the way, mm. uh, if I didn't say that already on a previous episode. Um, but we're watching it, and my brother's daughter... Doesn't know who He-Man is, even though I got her He-Man for her birthday, and she kind of threw it on the ground in front of everybody. It's fine. I didn't mind. Uh, but they're walking. She goes, hey, that's Orko! Orko and He-Man! And then the old, the six-year-old, five-year-old cousin, my brother's daughter's like, where? Where? I was like, but my, my little three-year-old girl pointing out He-Man and Orko, I was the proudest person in the room that day. So it's, it's those things, those little battles that you're going to win and everything that are just great, that are amazing. So uh, best of luck to you. Keep us, in, keep us up to date. You know, uh, Autumn even goes, aww, when I read the email to her. Uh, Autumn's a great name, obviously. So if it's a girl. Uh, also, Trey is a great name for a boy. And if it is a girl, you also go with Tracy. You know, Tracy Autumn. You know, if you want to go full age revisited fanning, uh, that'll work. Uh, but hey, you know, again, it's it, it's a good thing, dude. I'm happy for you. Uh, just don't let her listen to this. Or don't let your child listen to this podcast. They're old enough. <laughs> Is the only other advice I have. Uh, and then got another email from our good friend UK Pete, not UK Paul, uh, the Beetle, the sixth Beetle. But uh, UK Pete says, "Evening, gents. Uh, 1989. This was about uh, commenting our last episode, uh, the best of '89. Uh, 1989." Some classic films that year. Agree with your top two. As difficult as it is, Indy just edges out Batman. The ending of Last Crusade is perfect. They should leave Indy alone now. What's this Kingdom of the Crystal? Whatever you're referring to. Never heard of it. Wink, wink. <laughs> gotcha. Received. There's three Indiana Jones films, and they're perfect. 100%. Uh, love Batman 1989. Saw it on holiday with my dad. Great memories, especially as we were on a holiday. And as we were on private land, he let me drive the car for a bit. Two years before the legal age of 17 here in the UK. Wow, we can drive it. 15 with a permit and a person in the car, and then 16, I think, Something was like what it was here. It's been a while. Yeah, a long, <laughs> a long while. Bill and Ted, bonafide classic. Hope you're all keeping safe and well. Here's the short circuit. Cheers, Pete. Uh, sent from his, I love this, sent from my portable communications device. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a, Pete, I don't, do you have an, I want to know what brand you have, because I have an iPhone, so mine always say, I've never seen that. I've always only seen sent from my iPhone. I've never player, seen sent so. from my portable communications device, and I love I love that. So let me know what what brand phone you have. I'm just curious if it's the same. You know, you could change that by the what, way. I didn't. I kind of assumed you could, but I never did. I'm just that lazy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 
appreciate it, Pete. Uh, as far as I know, you know, me and Jesse are both doing, you know, still keep, you know, coronavirus, the Delta variants fucking everything up over here as it is around the world. You know, so everybody just got to stay safe. But hey, it's different this time because every week you got a new episode of 80s Revisited to listen to. So we're doing our part to fight Delta. <laughs> everybody, you know, now this, again, personal opinion for the sign off. Go get vaccinated. Let's get out of this together. It's not going to hurt you. Well, uh, my luck, I tell somebody it's not going to hurt them. And the one person that listens to me. You told me I'd be safe. Ends up becoming a toxic Avenger or something. I don't know. They're medically, science says that they're pretty safe. So I encourage everybody to get vaccinated, but continue to wear a mask, social distance. I want everybody to be able to listen to the next, you know, episodes that we have coming out. No matter how long in between that ends up being. So that being said, we had a killerly long, I didn't expect this episode to be this long, but hey, that's the fun of it. Uh, and everything so but don't forget drop us an email 80s revisited at gmail.com on facebook 80s revisited podcast on instagram 80s underscore revisited and you know what i don't uh, since i still haven't got on twitter i forgot the twitter handle because i didn't write that one down but twitter is wow it takes forever <laughs> twitter to fucking is on load. there too i'm looking for i think it's just eight yeah it's just 80s at 80s revisited it's the easiest at one eight, eight, zero s revisited yep that's it Gotcha. So I need to add it to my little notes here so I don't forget that next time. Almost had it perfect, Jesse. I'm sorry. But uh, a couple of plugs. Uh, shout outs, I guess. Not plugs. <laughs> but uh, our good friend John uh, from Lafayette with the Now vs. Nostalgia podcast, he now does uh, YouTube has a YouTube channel and Facebook page, uh, Cajun Toy Review. Uh, give it a like. Uh, you know, Check it out. Uh, I watched a couple of videos for some toys I didn't even know were out. Uh, really fun stuff. Uh, it's, you know, he, John had good insight when they talked about movies and he does you know, good coverage of the toys that he covers. And he's got that sexy Cajun voice too. So keep it up, John. Glad to hear you back. Hope everybody's doing well in your neck of the woods. Uh, glad you're out of the hospital, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that uh, a couple episodes ago. I know I kind of talked to you on Facebook on your post, uh, but I didn't, I didn't mean to mention that on the, on the show. If I didn't, I'm 41. I got a, the memory of a, you know, an Alzheimer's elephant, but uh, you know, he was, he was seriously ill everybody for a while there. I hope I'm not TMI and anything, John, but uh, he's fine now. He recovered. I don't believe it was COVID if I remember correctly. It was something else, but uh, he's doing great. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear it. I'm glad he's back doing some creative content. It's good. Uh, so glad just to hear John, keep it up. Good. To, uh, good to see you're, you're out there still. And of course the BAM cast, which uh, our good friend, Ben doom slayer, Wyatt uh, co-hosts, uh, Talk about badly awesome movies, which The Rocketeer was on the last one. Dudes, that's not a badly awesome movie. It's an awesome movie. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if I got on Twitter and everything more, I'd see what movies they're doing so I could comment on it. But uh, yeah, Ben's, uh, Ben's doing, still doing the wrestling thing and a new pay-per-view with, with TCW. He's going to be in the opening match. Or that might have already happened because that was an older episode of uh, the BAMcast. But, uh, you know, he's out there wrestling. It's awesome. And he's the Doomslayer. <laughs> it's great. So, uh it's all like seriously been like that's awesome man every time i see you post stuff like that i just smile because i know you know that's something you wanted to do and it makes me happy that you're out there doing you know something that you really truly want to do that's so awesome uh and best of luck with that stay safe and healthy with that too i, mean, I know you mentioned on the bamcast your you little back issue or something but you're working through it so keep it up and uh that's it till next week next week i don't know i got a i got a big folder of 80s movies to do so I'm, i might just you know reach in and grab a random one but we'll see. I'll, I will definitely once it's once I know which one we're gonna do, I will do an Insta, at least an Instagram post on that because that's linked to Facebook and uh, I can do that in two seconds uh, about which one will actually be. So if you did want to watch it beforehand, uh, or know if you you know may, you put it on your list to watch later, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. 
Until next time, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! No disassemble, 80s revisited. 80s revisited alive! this show and more on facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on twitter at awesome pods 